We are in Galatians 5 again, continuing in this series, studying the fruit of the Spirit. Let me encourage you to get a Bible open to that. Galatians 5, verse 16 is where we'll pick up. As we've done this, I've been emphasizing, at least in the weeks that I've preached, I've been emphasizing the reality that this is God's work through the gospel, His Son and His Spirit, that this is God's work transforming us. I've been doing that with this phrase, only by the work of God, through Jesus the Son and His Holy Spirit is the fruit of a transformed life produced in His people. The Spirit does this work. It's important that we recognize this. It's not that we don't seek to walk and and seek to grow and and strive after holiness and strive after the things of the Lord. It's important we recognize that we are responsible to do that. But we cannot produce this fruit within us. We cannot make it happen. He must do this work. He produces love within us that that, that motivates us to love others like he's loved us. He, He produces joy in us so that we no longer need to pursue happiness in the world or the things of the world, that he is the, the joy that fills us, the happiness of our hearts is rooted in him. He produces peace in us. He's the one that does that. He, he provides rest to our souls. He, he does a work that ends the toil that our sin has caused to be at work in the world. And, and, and so he gives us this peace between him and, and one another. And then having transformed us, this inner person, this inner working, this inner man, or this inner, inner well, inner woman, and he's reshaped us, he's changed our character, and he's done so in such a way that it begins to reflect itself in the ways that we live. It's no longer, now we've got to pretend or perform, or, or, but it becomes na- natural to us to begin to to be patient, to be long-suffering and bearing with one another like he's long-suffering, to be kind to one another like he's kind to us, to be, to be good, to express goodness. And, and it, there was a phrase that was actually in my mind last week as, as, as Pastor Bob was preaching that, that, you know, you've heard the saying, I'm, I'm certain you've heard the saying that God didn't, that Jesus didn't come to, to make... Jesus came to make, make dead people live, not make bad people good. Well, according to the text that we've been studying, that's not true. He actually came to make dead people live and make evil people good. He changes us from the inside out to, that, that we reflect his goodness in the world. And, and this week, our focus turns to God's transformative work, the production of faithfulness. That to make us a people who are faithful. And so here's the point. Here's the, the, the driving point of the morning as we, as we step into the text. Only by the work of God through Jesus the Son and His Holy Spirit are we graced with faith that proves itself in enduring faithfulness. Only by the work of God through Jesus the Son and His Holy Spirit are we graced with faith that proves itself in enduring faithfulness. Let's read the text. We'll dig in, and, and, and I think you'll be able to see uh, that today. But I say, beginning in chapter 5, verse 16 of Galatians, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, this is your word. This is your work. This is is the, the thing that you do. To transform us. And so as we gather here around your word, I pray by your spirit you meet us in this. 
That, that as, we, as, as we step into the responsibility of walking in this, walking in step with the gospel, walking in step with your spirit, walking with you, that you meet us and continuing, continue the transformative work that you have begun. That by the hearing of your word, that our faith and faithfulness grow. In the pro- proclamation of your word, that, that your spirit works. Maybe justifying some while sanctifying others but always moving us closer to conforming to the image of your son. Help us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> You've heard the saying, it struck me this week as I was, and actually it even happened again last night, it struck me this week as I was preparing for this just how much we need to be encouraged to be a faithful people. Like there's all kinds of, you know, you got the, the posters that hang up, the, the pithy sayings that hang in people's offices with the, with the inspiring words on them, you know. Um, uh, let, let perseverance be your engine and hope be your fuel. Oh, man, that, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Let's, let's do that. Perseverance is my engine. Hope is my fuel. Yeah, that's, that, that makes me feel like lasting the, fighting the good fight and lasting the long, for the long haul. Tough times never last, but tough people do. That's a good one, right? Who doesn't, who, yeah, I want to be called tough. I want people to know I'm tough. When the tough get going, or when the going gets tough, the tough get going. When the tough get going, it's time to get out of town, right? Because if they've left, it's really bad. When the tough, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. That's Martin Luther King Jr. And probably some truth to that. But what's, what's enabling him to stand? Our greatest glory is not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. That was Confucius. Remember that guy that gave up? Neither does anyone else. We need these things. We have to have these things and because we're so prone to giving up, to not lasting for the long haul, for not enduring, for not persevering, for not being faithful. One of the many ways that I've seen this in my own life is running. I hate running, okay? I mean, I'm, 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 not, I, I'm not trying to, if you like it, that's your, that's your weird thing. You keep it. I don't, I've never liked it, never Ever did I want to run? In fact, it was just recent. I was like, somebody was talking about running. I, I think it was in Africa. I was like, the only reason I'm running is if a lion comes out here and chases after me. And then I only have to run faster than you, right? And it was Dabo. <laughs> and if you've met Dabo, he's not running very fast. <laughs> he's got bad knees. And anyway, great dude. I love him. But I can outrun him. And he's like, I know. <laughs> so I was like, I, I don't have to run that much. I hate it. Oh, man, in the military. I was so disappointed when I got out of basic training and I thought the running was over. And then they said, no, every other day of the week, we get up and we go run. Whoa, wait a minute. I'm a helicopter. I'm a crew chief. I don't need to run. We fly places. I'll get there faster, right? Like that's in my mind. No, man, a mile or so into the run and I'm, I, I'm, there is a battle in my mind and soul. What are you doing, you fool? There's nothing chasing you. This hurts. There's nothing fun about this. People would tell me all the time, oh, you just got to clear your mind and you'll get this runner's euphoria, this runner's high. Never happened. And they'd seek to inspire me to, to, to love running. It never worked. Immediately upon starting to run a mile in, I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. I needed inspiration because just within me, within every one of us is this desire, this reality that we don't, we don't endure well. We don't persevere well. I know not everyone's a quitter at running, but I'm guessing there's things in your life that you can highlight, that you can see that there are ways in which that desire to not persevere, to not be faithful to the end, has weighed on you. I mean, there are all kinds of things we can drum up. There's all kinds of things that people in this world have valued so much that they have put themselves through very difficult, very hard things. 
There, there are all kinds of problems we can push through, obstacles we can oversee, uh, overcome. That, that is absolutely true, but there is only one way that we truly become faithful such that we endure in Christ. And that is through being made that way by the one who is faithful. Only by the work of God through Jesus the Son and His Holy Spirit are we graced with faith that proves itself in enduring faithfulness. This is a fruit of the Spirit. This is an aspect of that singular work that the Spirit is doing. He makes us faithful, but not in a vacuum. He does it through the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He does it at the decree of God, who from before the foundations of the world has known his people, whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life forever. He has known these people. This is, this is what Paul is saying. It contrasts against the works of the flesh. I mean, there's no, there's no real faithfulness in Christ in sexual immorality or impurity or sensuality or idolatry. In fact, idolatry in particular is a giving up of faithfulness to God and in Christ to pursuing some lesser... Uh, let's, let's not even come... Uh, pursuing it, no God. <laughs> A God of our own making, maybe. The idea here is that, that the only way we become this, the only way we, we, we begin to, to, to be able to express this is by God's word. And Paul is writing this letter. He's writing these words to a people who need to be reminded of this, who need to hear this. In fact, if, if you just go with me into the, to the early chapters of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, just a couple of, couple of chapters earlier, the verses, the verses read this way, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Re- recognize, who, is, who are they desert, deserting? Not deserting him. They're deserting the God who called them in the grace of Christ. <laughs> You're so quickly deserting this this God who's called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble and want to distort the gospel of Christ. These people who had heard the gospel preached by Paul, of all people, like you're stuck with me. These people had Paul. Like they had, they had this guy whose life had been radically transformed. That he, is, he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. His, he, he, he's blinded by God's light. And then his sight is given back. And immediately he's up preaching the gospel. He disappears for a little bit of time to study the gospel. He stands in front of the other apostles and presents the gospel. And they're like, yeah, that's the message. He's written letters that have been canonized that we now recognize are God's word. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit, called an apostle. They had him. And they're so quick to desert this gospel. Does that sound like faithfulness? I mean, if they're prone to it, maybe we're all prone to it. Their, their reaction to the false gospel of the Judaizers, the, the gospel that says, yeah, Jesus is good, but, but you've got to add to that, becoming Jewish. You're not really a part of the covenant community until you've stepped all the way into the old covenant. Wait, wait, wait a minute. The old covenant was, a, was, was an, a, a type and a shadow, a pointing towards the new covenant. It was a, it was a a purpose and a place for its time. We've studied this. We've seen this in the outworking of the covenant. The, the old covenant wasn't in, into itself, and the new covenant wasn't a way into the old covenant. The old covenant had its place for its time and its purpose, but it's no more. The writer of Hebrews tells us that it is, that it's been replaced, it's displaced, that it's defunct. That now the new covenant in Christ, he is the fulfillment. But yet they're hearing this and they're deceived. They're listening to it and their thoughts are beginning to get distorted and they're not acting in faithful ways. So much so that it calls them to question whether or not they were actually really believing it to begin with. Paul tells them in Galatians 3 verses 1 through 5, just a couple of chapters later, Oh foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, you are now being perfected? 
by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? See, the the questions are, are being asked. They're rhetorical questions. Paul expects a certain answer. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The right answer to that is by hearing with faith. Like we entered in. We were justified by faith. We entered into this relationship, into eternal life, into this walk that we've been given by faith. And then, he, then he's like, well, wait, wait. Now, if, if that's the right answer, you must be foolish to think that you continue it on by the works of the flesh. Are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Ha- having been justified by the Spirit? Are you now, is it necessary for you to, to work this out on your own? And how, he got you started, but you've got to make this happen. That's paramount of saying that God saves you, but you've got to keep yourself safe. That's a lie of the devil. That is a distorted gospel. Are you going to try and complete the work that God started by faith or by works? So, Paul knows the answers to these questions, but, but it brings him to a place that if you're not willing to walk in faith to begin with, walk in faith to continue, and walk in faith to the point you're glorified, then you might not have ever had faith to begin with. Did you experience all these things in vain? Did you suffer these things in vain? Did you, did you experience this, this life in vain for nothing, for no reason, for no purpose? If it truly was in vain. God justifies us by, the faith, by faith in the gospel. He sanctifies us by faith in the gospel. He brings us to glory by faith in the gospel and the ongoing work of his spirit in our Life, And that's why Paul draws the conclusion that he does just a few verses later in Galatians 3, 11, that the righteous shall live by faith. Every ounce of life for the righteous person is by faith. If it's anything else ever, then everything else was in vain. Only by the work of God through Jesus the Son and His Holy Spirit are we graced with faith that proves itself in enduring faithfulness. It's God's work through Jesus and His Spirit. He's the one doing it. He produces this faith. He keeps us in faith to the point that Paul calls it out as one of the fruit, uh, one aspect of the fruit that the Spirit works out in His people. And, And let's just be clear, when we come to this word faithfulness, it's not a different word in the Greek. It's the same word that's been used. It's used like 20-some times in, the gospel, in Galatians because it's so central to his point that our life is by faith. He comes to this place, and he uses the exact same word, not a different form of it. It's translated differently because of the, way, because of the context around it. But he's calling out that the Spirit produces faith in us. The Greek word is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S in alliterated form, pistis. It, it, it means, it's translated oftentimes as faith, right? It, it most often in the Bible is translated as faith, or, it, but, but it means trust, a, a strong confidence and reliance upon someone or something. And, and here's, here's something that you should recognize is, is that it's being used in a, in a particular way in the Scripture. Everybody believes something. And the things that they believe motivate every one of their actions. Now, everybody is believing in something, right? In, in fact, I, can, I would just use this to illustrate it. The very first sin was an issue of a wrong-centered belief. See, Eve listened to the voice of the serpent, believed the serpent over God's word. She measured the fruit. She looked at the fruit. She saw that it was good to, to make her like God. It was good to eat, that it was good for producing wisdom. It would bring about, she, she believed her own perspective over God's word that if you eat of it, you will die. 
So everyone, everyone is expressing belief. But this word is particularly applied to God's people, God's covenant people, walking in covenant relationship with him. To do that, we must do it in faith. We must do it trusting in him, strong confidence and reliance upon him. Now, everyone's believing something, and that belief is leading them to some lesser God, some false God, some empty God, some sinful action. Only those who are of God, who have had it produced within them, are expressing faith and faithfulness toward God. The reformers recognizing that, that there is a way in which this works out. They're, they're trying to wrestle with the, the, the speaking of the, the Roman Catholic ideology of works and faith and the, and the ways in which the Roman Catholics have begun to, to teach and train that you could kind of earn your way into heaven. And they begin to re- wrestle with, well, wait a minute, if it's by faith alone, what does that mean? What is this kind of faith? What is it when Paul uses this word pistis? What does it mean? And so, th- so they sat down and they began to look at it and they recognized three components or three, three, um, yeah, three components of this faith. There's the knowledge component. You have to know the truth to believe the truth. You can't just say, I, I believe that. I don't really know what it is, but I believe it. You have to know it. You have to know that there's a God to believe in that God. You have, to, you have to know that God sent his son to die in your place and for your sins to believe that God did that for you. You have, to, you have to know it. But you can't just know it and have that knowledge. I mean, how much knowledge is just floating around in our heads that we don't really care about? I mean, I got a lot. <laughs> Doesn't help me at all. Like, it's pretty distracting up here sometimes. But... It doesn't help me. Well, I, there has to be an affirmation with it. So there's the knowledge component, the affirmation component. I have to agree with it. I have to affirm that it's true. I have to recognize that it's, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, that's, I, I, I know that story, and I, yes, it's true. But even that's not enough. I mean, James said himself that even the demons believe, right? They They know. They know Jesus is God's son. They, 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 they certainly agree with it. I mean, when Legion was speaking to Jesus from that, from that, inside that man's body, he says, Ah, oh, we know who you are. You're the son of the living God. They know. But they're not adding the third component. Not, not that they really have an opportunity to anyway, but the dependence, or the fiduciary component, the, the trust component, the leaning into, the entrusting oneself to it, knowing the truth and, and agreeing with the truth in such a way that it actually affects our life. And that's why James is able to say, hey, faith that doesn't produce works, faith that doesn't change the way you live, isn't really faith. Because when you know it and when you believe it's true and you have, you have d- 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 put your life into it and depended on it, came confident upon it, relied upon it. When that has happened, you can't continue in worship of other things because you, you know only God is worthy of that worship. You, you can't continue in sinful activity because you know it's detestable to the God who saved you. You, you can't continue in a way of life away from God. When you see these things, when you agree with the truth of these things and you turn in your heart to rely upon those things, you no longer are believing the lies, but believing the truth. You now walk in repentance and faith. This is what he's doing. This is what he's calling us to. This is the faith that justifies. This is the faith that sanctifies. This is the faith that brings us to glory. And the only way to this kind of faith, I've said it over and over, but we're going we're to highlight it, we're going to pinpoint it, It's through the work of God, uh, through the Son and the Spirit. Our faith, if true, is a gift from God. Our faith, if true, is a gift from God. Now, I know maybe not as much in this room, but for some people that will be an affront. No, I believe. I'm the one expressing that faith. I'm the one deciding to, to place that faith. I'm the one doing this. Giving, I'm the one figuring it out and placing my faith. Yeah, I know, I know. And, and that's true to a degree. 
But who changed your mind about it all to begin with? If you have it, claim it as your own. You should recognize you didn't drum it up within yourself. You can't. It comes from God through his work in the gospel, through the proclamation, the hearing of his word. It, it comes from hearing the word. In fact, when Paul's writing his, his letter to Timothy at the end of his life, He's writing a, a, a fatherly, pastoral letter to one of, one of his closest followers, Timothy. And he, he writes these words in 2 Timothy three fifteen: How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. And so what he's, what he's saying there is, hey, and he refers to this earlier on in the letter. So Timothy's grandmother, uh, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, had been effectual in Timothy's growing up acquainted with the scripture, knowing the Bible, knowing God's word. They raised him to know it. Then, then Paul comes along and, and, and he disciples him and, and trains him up. He's like, you've been acquainted with this from the, 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 the scripture from youth, from childhood. And these scriptures, he says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. They are able, the scripture are able to make you wise through faith. They're the one that do this work in you. Timothy, you didn't drum this up by yourself. You didn't reason it out on your own. It was God's word doing its work in your life. I, I, I say it often, I don't, maybe, maybe not as much today as I have in years past, but God's word is the word that works. We don't need another word. You want a word from God, he gave it to you. Read it. Spend time in it. Become acquainted with it. It will work makes us wise and, and, and brings about, inspires faith. In the letter to the Romans, Paul's a bit more explicit. Romans 10, 17, he, he, he has gone through this litany of, hey, you got to go and beautiful are the feet and uh, that, that bear the message of Christ, right? Like he's talking about the, the responsibility to go and preaching the gospel. How will they know if no one goes and tells them? He comes to this place in chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes from hearing. And this particular type of hearing? Hearing through the word of Christ. And not hearing your wit, not me standing up and giving you a few jokes to make you laugh and, and, and make you a little bit more comfortable. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of Christ. Faith is produced. It comes through hearing the word of Christ. So, so we often think, oh, I can reason them in. And there's a way in which apologetics today has taken on this idea that we're not just giving a reason for the hope that we have, but it's taken on this flavor of, I can just convince them. Duh. No, you can't. Quit trying. You cannot convince anybody. You cannot change anybody's heart. You cannot make anyone believe. You cannot come up with an argument on your own that brings somebody to the point of faith. But the Word of God can. Man, here's the reality. There's a thousand questions to be asked about the faith, about the things we believe. If you get a thousand questions answered to your own satisfaction, you still won't believe unless God does a work in you by His Word. And here's the reality, because there's lots of people that have heard the Word. I know atheists that know the Bible better than Christians. And they're not saved. Because it's not this dead, ah, man, I'm going to be careful as I say this. <laughs> oh, I love my Bible. I love, the, I love God's word, right? But this book, apart from the power of the Spirit to do a work in us, is just another book. It's just another, it's just another book with print on the pages. And, and we see that in places like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. So no one, faith is a gift from God. It, it comes from him. So there's a reason why not everybody that picks up the Bible is suddenly, oh man, look at that. I'm a believer. There's lots of people who read the Bible looking to justify themselves. There's lots of people who, who read the Bible simply to find an excuse to continue living the way that they live. The, one of the first... Tell this story on myself quite a bit. Uh, one of the first reasons I read the Bible was to prove that I could drink alcohol if I so chose to drink alcohol. 
That's not helpful to anyone. Certainly that kind of knowledge isn't what saved me. There's lots of people who approach the Bible that way. If we're going to have the faith that results from the hearing of the word, the preaching of Christ, it's going to be a gift of God. You didn't come to this faith on your own. I didn't come to this faith on my own. It's not a result of works. The faith is produced by the Spirit. He, 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 Paul makes a similar statement in Philippians, and I actually referred to this last night in our men's meeting. Uh, I typically refer to this when, when I'm talking about suffering because it's such a, whoa, wait a minute, but it speaks of faith as well. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, not even, not even for you, right? Not even for your sake, it's been granted to you. You know that means it's been given to you. It's been graced upon you. It's been gifted to you. For it has been granted to you for the, uh, for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. He gave you faith not even first and foremost, for your sake. For the glory of Christ. Where did your faith come from? He granted it. In the same way that he's granted you suffering, (laughs) that's a tough one, but it's true. In the same way that he's granted you suffering for his sake, he has granted you faith for his sake. Our faith, if true, is a gift from God. God. Our faith, if true, will be proven by our faithfulness. Having been given faith by God, his spirit producing that faith that that justifies us and leads us into eternal life and and changes us from the inside out because we believe with with a a dependence and a, a sincerity because we trust him, that faith endures. That's why translators here didn't just didn't just translate it as faith because they're looking at this work that the Spirit's doing and it's surrounded by the reality that these are are not just expressions of an immediate one-time shift in a person, but they're expressed over a whole life. Love, joy, peace that finds its way out externally in patience with one another, kindness towards one another, goodness to one another, faithfulness towards God and one another. Having been given faith by God, he does a work that, that, that's so profound that that faith lasts. Peter describes this faith as he's writing to a suffering church. Uh, you, you may know the story of, of 1 Peter. Uh, some people believe it's written late, and, and these people were suffering under Nero's persecution. Some people believe it's written a little bit earlier than that, and they're suffering generally, but are going to suffer even more greatly in the time to come. But regardless, they're suffering something. And he writes this in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So let me, let me just give you the context. In this you rejoice, the reality that Jesus has saved you, right? The reality that, that God is, by faith, guarding your inheritance, right? By his power through faith. In, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Faith that doesn't stand in the storm. Faith that gets discouraged or or, or faith that gets uh, 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 deceived. Faith that gets detoured by false gods and false gospels and False teachings. That's not the kind of faith that God produces in his people. That's why John was saying if they've left us, they were never really one of us. Not speaking of the local congregation. People leave congregations. They move. Life changes. Things like that. He's talking about the people of God. Because if they left us, they were never really part of us because they never really had that initial faith that would be proven by its faithfulness. In my study this week, I came across an article in, in Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, and I, I thought it fit here well. It said it, the, the, the 
person who wrote it writes, faith is more than a momentary assent to the truth of God. It is a commitment to that truth and manifests manifest itself in continued obedience. Faith that's produced by God through the Spirit, through the gospel of Jesus Christ is faithful, it's enduring, it's, it's continuing, it lasts to the end. Faithfulness to the Lord, first and foremost. So, so Jesus is telling a parable, and, he, and he, 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 he tells about these four soils, and his disciples are confused, and they're like, why are you using parables? Like, nobody's going to understand this. And he says, I'm using parables for that very reason. Because the people who are mine will understand, but let me go ahead and explain this one to you. He talks about the four soils. The seed is God's word. The soils are people's hearts. And, and, and he lays out inside of this that, that hey, there's really there, there's four types of soil that he references, but there's ultimately three different responses. There's the, the, the first response, which is the packed soil. It's the hard heart. And, and that person never hears, actually hears the word to begin to express anything, to begin to react. This, the, the enemy comes along, the birds come along and eat that seed up, and it makes no change at all. It doesn't make any impact. But then there's two, the next two soils. Falls among, among rocky ground, uh, rocky soil, and uh, I can oh man, I'm, I've just read this this morning, and I'm drawing a blank. Thorn, thank you. Appreciate that. There, that that's what I needed that. Um, so, so, so rocky soil and thorns, and they represent hearts that, oh man, there's an immediate response. And oh, we love the immediate response, right? Like the, like, like, like the Sunday, we're going to do some we're going to do some spontaneous baptisms and we're going to drum up this excitement. We're going to call people down and we want that immediate response. But in both of those soils, there's one, the persecution and the testing of faith that comes that proves that that faith was never really true. It was never rooted in the soil. And that the thorns come up representative of the worries of life, the pressure of life, the love of money, the love of the world more than the love of Christ demonstrating that there was no actual faith, that it too burns up because it's choked out. But then Jesus tells of that fourth soil, the one in which the seed takes root, deep root, drinks of the water of life, and bears fruit. In Matthew, he speaks of it in terms of a hundred 60 or 30 fold, not emphasizing the amount or celebrating the, the different amounts and praising the 100 over the, the 30, but just recognizing that there is fruit produced by the faithful heart. In Luke, he, he refers to it a little bit differently. Luke, Luke records it a little bit differently, but he refers to it in the, in the sense of a response that holds fast, that remains faithful, bearing fruit with patience. But wait a minute, patience. That's like one of those fruit of the Spirit. Funny how that all works out together. Jesus said, the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's so easy to think, oh man, I'm going to endure. When the, tough, when the going gets tough, the tough get. I can't even say that right now. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bear up. I got big shoulders. I got a strong mind. I got a strong will. Don't hurt yourself that way. You don't have enough strength. You don't have enough power to endure what the evil one brings. The reason that that happens is because God has put faith that is faithful in that person. Faithfulness to the Lord, the one who endures in his name. In fact, when he says that, Matthew 10, 22 uh, and in Matthew 24, 13, one, he's saying something about being, you're going to be hated because of me, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the next one, he's saying, hey, the end is coming, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Right? He, he says in Luke, he's approached, hey, I want to follow you. I want to go wherever you go. But you know, I got this thing I got to take care of at home. Would you, would you hang out here for a bit? I'll be back, I promise. Now, I, I know that's a bit of my own translation. I get that. I got, a, I got a, a dying father. He's not dead yet, but, but once he's dead, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. How will I ever be fit 
for the kingdom unless he gives me a faith that produces faithfulness. I got all kinds of little things happening back here. All kinds of little temptations floating around in the back of my mind. But the one in Christ puts that stuff to death. He crucifies the passions and desires of the flesh that he might follow after Christ. How will that ever happen if God doesn't do it? We have a faithfulness towards him that we will not look apart, we will not look away, that we will not look back, that we will continue on. The only hope of this level of faithfulness is the Lord producing it by his spirit. And and a faithfulness not just towards God, but towards others. I mean, you could follow this passage out, this, just Galatians chapter 6. In fact, there's another, I was sitting there listening last night as the men were going around the circle talking about stuff going on in their lives and referring to things. I'm like, ah, man, I don't even have to preach this sermon. Like, but I was like, that would leave all the women out. So, so here you are. But this was read last night, Galatians 6, 1 through 10. If anyone's caught in transgression, you or her spiritual shall restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Be so faithful to your brother that you don't just let him wallow in sin. Be so kind to your brother that you actually go to him and seek his repentance. Do it in gentleness. Do it carefully. Caleb's going to teach on that in a couple of weeks. I won't steal any of that. But but there's that, that fruit of the Spirit. Do it in the Spirit. Keep watch on yourself. Well, i got to keep watch. Yes, because you can be tempted too. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something, he's nothing, he deceives himself. Don't live. Live in the truth. Like, be faithful towards these things. Let's skip down to verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. You can't pretend this kind of faith. You will only be faithful if it is produced in you. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the, will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. If the only reason you do good, expressing God's goodness in a bad world, the only reason you're doing good is because you've got some pithy saying hanging on your office wall. You may need a dose of faith. Produced by the Spirit that shows itself in faithfulness. Do not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. He's calling us to endure, to persevere, to be faithful. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the house. Be faithful in doing good. Be faithful. Persevere in being in, in your faithfulness, touching other people. And, and who are we supposed to do that to? Everyone. That sounds exhausting. Doesn't it? That's why you need the Spirit to produce faith in you that produce that is proved in faithfulness. Because the only way to that, to be that faithful in this life, to not grow weary in it, to not want to give up, to not want to quit, is to have the faithfulness that put there, that's presented there and produced there by the working of the Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the preaching of the Word. But especially, especially to those who are out to hold the faith. So, hey, by the way, don't just be good to those out there that you don't really know. But be faithful to the ones in here who sometimes hurt you, disappoint you, who are close enough that the cuts that you receive from them are deep. Just because someone else isn't faithful doesn't mean I can be faithless. Right? I am to continue in this faithfulness toward the Lord, toward others, expressed in love, Patience, kindness, etc. Love of God. Love Him first. That's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Man, how in the world is that going to be produced in me? 
except by a faith that produces faithfulness. A love of neighbor and brother. And 1 John 3 actually shows us that really closely. That if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother with tangible goods, tangible ways, you're lying to yourself. Love of enemy. Right? Jesus says, hey, hey, by the way, I think you've heard it said that, you know, you're supposed to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I'm telling you, love your neighbor and your enemy. You mean the one that's terrible to me, that's opposed to me, that's treated? Yes. It may look different. It may be expressed differently, but you aren't cutting them back. You aren't reattacking them in response. You aren't seeking vengeance. Patience, bearing with one another. Over and over, we're called to bear with one another, to suffer long with one another, kind to one another. This is the way it looks, right? This, this faithfulness in, in expressing the fruit of the Spirit towards others because we have faith in God that's lasting in His faithfulness. And really, when it comes all down to it, that's really what it's about, is us recognizing the faithfulness of God. He is faithful. Our faith, if true, will reflect God's faithfulness in the world. How does the world know that God is faithful if His people are hypocrites? Tell me how it works. I mean, how often have you heard it said, Hey, man, I'm all about church, but I hate the hypocrites there, so I just don't go. Now, I've got an answer for that. I won't go there now. I think everybody's a hypocrite. I'm just grown enough in my hypocrisy that I can admit that I need Jesus to save me. And you can continue to lie to yourself. You're a good person. No. Our faith, if true, will reflect God's faithfulness in the world. I, I, I think, I, 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 I wish it wasn't true. But every time that, that the church acts foolish, either seeking to syncretize with the world and run into their sin and join them in their sin and ignore the reality of sin in front of a holy God or run into legalism and, and, and pretending that, oh, we got here and we're doing it. We're prepared on our own. We, you just need to be like us. Without the proclamation of the gospel and condemning people by your own actions, anytime we do those things, we give God a black eye. God is faithful even when we're not. Is the world recognizing, is your brother and sister in Christ recognizing God's faithfulness? In case you, in case you doubt his faithfulness, let me just remind you passages all the way back to the Old Testament. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Now, just, I'll just give you the context of Exodus 34, 6, what I'm about to read to you. The people of Israel have been delivered from uh, Egypt, brought through the Red Sea, walked up onto dry ground, sang a song, started complaining. I don't really like what you gave me, God. Maybe, maybe we should go back. They end up at the foot of Mount Sinai. They see the fire. They hear the thunder. They recognize the power of God, and they are scared to death. And they're like, Moses, would you speak? See, we're going to die. Moses goes up on the mountain. And he receives the covenant, and the people eagerly, yeah, 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 we want to be your people. You be our God. We want this. Moses goes back up on the mountain, reports to God what the people have said. He's there for like 40 days, and they're like, oh, man, I don't know what happened to Moses. <laughs> But we need somebody to worship. Aaron, here's our goal. Aaron. 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 So Moses, back up on the mountain. Just before the covenant is <laughs> renewed with this covenant-breaking people, he's faithful even when we're not. You get it? That's, that's the point I'm trying to drive home. Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him, passed before Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and what? Faithfulness. He endures. He's steadfast. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the God who is, who was, and is to come. That's our God. In Lamentations, of all books of the Bible for to find God's faithfulness, this, this prophet, we think it's Jeremiah, not, not everybody's convinced of that, but, but this prophet writing of the sorrow and the struggle in the middle of that book, Lamentations 3, 22 through 23, the steadfast love of the Lord 
never ceases. When does it cease? Never. Well, wait a minute. It's hard right now. He loves you. His love is for you. His good is for you. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. That's our God. Is that the faithfulness that your life reflects in this world? Because that's the faith that he's put in you, if you're his, that produces the faithfulness, that proves itself in the faithfulness that's like him. Our world should know God is faithful because his people are faithful. First to him, then to one another, and even to the ends of the earth. To everyone, we express faithfulness. The Spirit makes us like him. His image bearers beginning to grow in his characteristics as he conforms us to the image of his son who conforms us to the image of our father. So let me just ask you some questions. Who are you being faithful to? Let me just step back a little bit. What have you placed your faith in? Where is your faith from? How are you seeking to endure? Are you, are you drumming up by proper motivation, by hanging stuff on the wall so that you can remember? And, or by trusting in the one who produces faithfulness? I want to say this carefully because it, the intent is not to put a weight and cause guilt but to recognize the distinction between a said faith and a real faith. When people experience your faith and your faithfulness, is it reflective of the God who's always been faithful? Or is it reflective of a person who's drummed it up inside themselves and is pretended The reality is, maybe sitting in this room is somebody who's never actually trusted. You've had the form of religion. You've done all the things. You said the prayer. You walked an aisle, but you've not been faithful. And if that's true, it might just be you never had the faith to begin with. And so let me encourage you to hear this word. Believe in him and you will be saved. And if you believe in him, if you trust him, if you place your faith in him, that faith is a gift from God that will show itself, that will prove itself in faithfulness. And so respond. Respond in the moment. Say the prayer. Pray. Lean into him. And then watch him produce faithfulness that lasts until the end. And for those of you that are sitting here today that have known him a long time, praise him. He's faithful, and he's making you faithful. Let's pray. Father.